Listen for a word of God from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 and 13. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. The Word of God. The summer of 1999, I was binging on languages, Greek. It was an entire year of Greek condensed into a summer. Have some of you just come through some summer intensive courses? While I was with a group of students in Athens, we had just taken our first midterm. We decided it's time for a reward. So we left our classroom setting in the hotel and we went to the island of Hydra. It's precisely what you imagine, blue water and white sand and narrow cobbled roads, pathways between the shops and, and the homes, and music and dancing in the streets, watermelon and feta cheese around every corner, donkeys to carry our luggage to the hotel. Someone decides we should go to the watering hole, the swimming hole. If you walk to the far end of town and go a little bit further, you find these cliffs that overhang this, the swimming area, the kind of scene you see in movies, right? If you go down the side of the pathway and you crawl over some of the stones, the way into the water is actually very gentle and the cove there was full of swimmers. Or step out to the edge of the cliff and jump. These sorts of spots, they're everywhere in the islands. They seem to invite cliff jumping. So I'm standing on the edge, reminding myself, these students are 19 and I'm not. These students don't, don't have anyone back home, depending on their safe return. I do. These students are 19, did I say? Has anyone assessed the risk? Has anyone read the travel reviews? How many people die on these cliffs? <laughs> Why is everyone so happy also? Why is there so much laughter? This is serious cliff jumping. There's a boom box down below and it's blasting this folk music with lutes and tambourines and drums. And there may or may not be some of the national drink going on down there, right? The holiday crowd is happy. They are cheering every time someone jumps from the cliffs and lands into the water. I have one foot on the edge propped up by the peer pressure of the pack behind me, and I have the other foot anchored in common sense and street smarts, I don't jump off cliffs. If you can hold that image, I have an instinct that this is what's going on with Paul. One foot going over the cliff of freedom and one foot anchored in the street, the street smarts of our human condition. For freedom, Christ sets us free. Let me tell you about it, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5. There is joy and beauty and satisfaction and relief and rest in a free life. Let's map it out. You people who live in a neighborhood called freedom, God has placed you there. And Paul pauses. Some specialists now mark out the next verses in Galatians 5, verses 2 through 12, as evidence that Galatians has had some editing, and we know this about our Bibles, right? That this is not troubling to us. Think of a handwritten letter torn up into pieces, and someone comes along decades later to tape it back together. Only little bits and pieces are damaged, and maybe some are missing. The editors, they do their best to make sense out of what they have, right? These verses, though, between verse 2 and verse 12, they sound like they belong to a different chapter. Chapter 4, maybe sooner. 
Because in Galatians 5, Paul has pivoted to this new announcement, freedom. Paul's going to jump off the cliff of freedom, and, and he doesn't. He stops to shout and scold and warn and worse. I find these verses compelling partial evidence that the Bible, the Bible is trustworthy. Otherwise, someone would edit out these sections along with other more troubling texts. You know some passages where God is terrifying and the people of God are traumatizing. If you want to make a good PR document, get rid of all of the embarrassing parts, right? But, but they don't. So Galatians 5, beginning with verse 2, we're going to read now these next 10 verses together. If you have a Bible open, read along. I'm choosing Eugene uh, Peterson's paraphrase, the message, but because of its emphasis here. Beginning with verse 2. I, Paul, I am emphatic about this. The moment any of you submits to circum... I mean, er, pardon me, but he's just been talking about freedom. Freedom in Christ. And now he says... I am emphatic about this. The moment any of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping, at that very same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. I repeat my warning. The person who accepts the ways of circumcision trades all the advantages of free life in Christ for obligations of the slave life of the law. I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you're cut off from Christ and you fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. For in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor our disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. You are running superbly. Who cut in on you, deflecting from your true course of obedience? This detour, it doesn't come from the one who called you into the race in the first place. And, and please, don't toss this off as insignificant. It only takes a minute amount of yeast, you know, to permeate an entire loaf of bread. Deep down, the master has given me confidence that you will not defect. But the one who's upsetting you, whoever he is, he will bear the divine judgment. And as for that rumor that I, Paul, continue to preach the ways of circumcision as I did in those pre-Damascus road days, that is absurd. Why would I still be persecuted then? If I were preaching that old message, no one would be offended if I mentioned the cross now and then. It would be so watered down, it wouldn't matter one way or the other. Why don't these agitators, obsessive as they are about circumcision, go all the way and castrate themselves? The Word of God. Did he really? Did he really? He, he did. Everyone take a deep breath. What in the world? What in the world? Paul, who insists we're, we're free, does he get to use his freedom this way? There's so much here we could discuss. Maybe, first of all, it's not worth a reaction. Paul is telling the agitating teachers that they might as well go join the temple cult up the street. That's where the priests are re required to ritually castrate themselves. And if you're going to misuse religion, go for it. But do it on your own body and on your own time and in someone else's temple. Maybe it's really this simple. Maybe. The implied question throughout the, uh, the letter to the Galatians is about the role of religion, the misuse and the abuse of religion. What is the proper role of religion? This is a fantastic question. 
Paul gets angry because people are using religion and religious systems to manipulate. The agitating teachers, they're manipulating not only the good news, but the good rituals. What is the proper role of religion in your life? What is the proper role of religion shaping our communal life? See, there's no culture in recorded human history that has not practiced some form of religion. Religion, our, our attempt to make meaning out of this life with a worldview and with practices and beliefs that lead to a transcendent experience with a holy other being, a, a God we trust, religion. One trending report this week comes from the people at Barna who estimate that one in five churches will close due to the pandemic and Christians won't be returning to church. You may have heard this report. They were interviewed on NPR. Remember that prior to pandemic, Americans were already cooling towards religious affiliation, right? Whatever we brought into pandemic is still here. Now it's simply out from under the bed. What is the role of religion in our lives? It's an old question. The new spin today in our times is when we ask, yeah, what, what is religion for and what do I get out of it? Maybe my relationships were not all that life-giving in the church the Barna people are discovering. Maybe I don't resonate with the teachings and the music is really so-so and maybe during pandemic I found a new rhythm actually. Outside is pretty nice. New voices have my attention, new talking partners. Maybe I can do life without actual organized religion at all. The estimate is that 40% of Christians have sheltered at home alone without any online worship experience, any online small groups, even any prayer chains. They're home alone. Maybe the church is going to become like the Levi Strauss company, right? The blue jeans people. Their revenue is down 62% because, well, we are not wearing our jeans. <laughs> and we are learning to live without buying more. Paul's question 2,000 years ago remains valid today. What is the proper role of religion as Christian nationalism co-ops the gospel of Jesus in our country? What's the proper role of religion as Christians become targets for conspiracy theories in the mission fields of social media? Social media is not exactly a library of primary sources. In 2020, the agitators are covert, and they're sly, and they're well-funded, and they understand enough of the life and the theology of evangelical Christianity that we are targets, and, and the gospel of Jesus is infected. What is the proper role of religion in our contemporary lives? It's the same question Paul was working on, only for him was a very specific scenario. And when he gets angry, it's over the manipulation of religion. It's over the abuse of religion. It's over the misuse of religion. Why don't you go emasculate yourselves, he says. This is what I'd really like to name this morning. When Paul leans in, the inner bully in him comes out. The inner bully in each of us. It's easy to tempt the inner bully. Some of us need a little less or a little more tempting. Some of us have a louder bark and a deeper bite. We all have an inner bully of some kind. Some of us retreat. Some of us use the silent treatment. Some of us are passive-aggressive. Some of us become aloof and condescending, right? The inner bully. Some of us don't need an entire paragraph for you to catch it. One glance will do. The inner bully is in all of us. It's natural to identify when we feel bullied and victimized. Usually we're talking, when we talk about the bully experience, it's because we are the victim. 
It's healthy, though, and hard work to be aware of our own inner bully. In the history of the Christian church, these verses from the Apostle Paul, these verses, Galatians 5, verse 2 through 12, here's what's interesting about them. They are omitted from the lectionary cycle, the selection of passages read aloud in Christian worship for centuries. We do the lectionary cycle in our nine o'clock liturgical service. Every three years, we rotate through new passages of scripture. It's actually lovely because so much scripture is read and enjoyed. We tried it in our other worship services a couple years ago, and it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a popular experience. So think about that for a minute. In the history of the Christian church, when passages of scripture are read for Christians around the world to hear, Galatians 5, 2 to 12, never makes the list. There are a lot of passages that don't make the list, and usually they are passages like this that people don't know what to do with, or in this case, Paul's, some of Paul's most intense and angry fighting words. That's what these are, and they never really get read aloud in Christian worship. I'm actually eager for us to hear them today for what they are, and for us to allow Paul to teach us at the gut level, his gut, our gut. Psychiatrist Karen Tamarius helps us. Listen, she says this. Let's be honest. More often than not, we reach for these bludgeons because using them feels good. Whether we're shining the torch of truth in a dinner table face-off, whether we're piling on a Twitter shame fest or hitting the unfriend button on Facebook, we get a dopamine rush of self-righteous satisfaction that's as pleasurable and addictive as any street drug. The first step in making the transition from weapons of war to tools of persuasion is to ask ourselves, what matters most, feeling good or making a difference? What matters most, feeling good or making a difference? Paul knows Paul knows the complexity of the situation he's in. He's defending the simplicity of the gospel while he's also demeaning and demoralizing colleagues across town. Paul knows. It's like like standing in the middle of an argument shouting, stop shouting at me. There's a dopamine rush of self-satisfaction. I know what it feels like. Do you? It's a sermon series I've wanted to do for 20 years or so now when being right is so wrong. Paul knows the inner bully is a losing strategy. Paul knows, he knows it so deeply that he actually cautions the community in verse 15. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. There's this interesting communal call to defend and protect. See to it no one is consumed. Inner bullies come out because we live in what Paul describes as our flesh in a community of the Spirit. And inner bullies come out because there are these superhuman powers. They're real and they're working to imprint the community. See to it no one is consumed on your watch, disciples of Jesus. 
How useful if the body of Christ could allow the Spirit to tame our inner bullies collectively. How useful if the body of Christ could stand in harm's way so that no one is devoured on our watch. How useful if we could allow the Spirit to bring forward this gift in our world, if at least the disciples of Jesus could wander our world with this communal call to protect one another. How useful could we be in God's world? See, Paul eventually does jump off that cliff of freedom. Oh, he dives hard. But before he does, he's made it very clear that he had one foot firmly planted in the human condition. The inner bully in him did come out. It's complex. And still, Paul teaches me that we can hold space for one another because in the midst of of creating beautiful spirit community, the inner bully will come out. When your inner bully comes out, I, I want to be patient with you. And when my inner bully comes out, please, I ask you to bless me with the same patience in return. Paul eventually does jump off that cliff of freedom in Galatians chapter 5. He jumps hard and he jumps fast. And by the way, I jumped off that cliff in the island of, on the island of Hedra too. I did. It was after so much negotiating with my classmates At one point, there were four of us lined up on this cliff holding hands, convinced that we would all jump in unison. No one left behind. I'm pretty sure they did that on my benefit because I had the fear of the entire class held right here. It was their instinct. It was their instinct that day to be with me and not leave me alone. It wasn't small. That wasn't a small gesture. See, this is the direction the Apostle Paul has been headed the whole time. When he jumps off the, fr- the cliff of freedom, this is where he goes. Why does, why does freedom in Christ matter and what is it for? You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul offers this radically different understanding of freedom. Why do I say it's radical? Because go do a search for a podcast this afternoon. Look for a podcast on freedom. And you know what we find? It's a category called freedom entrepreneurs. People who are chasing and grabbing and creating and making freedom. People who are chasing and grabbing and making freedom so they can make their own lives the way they want their lives. Freedom entrepreneurs. It's it's a new category to me. And it is so radically different than what Paul is describing. The freedom Christ gives us is not freedom for self-indulgence, but freedom from self for service to each other. It's the freedom in which life in the community, community together, flourishes. This is not personal freedom. It's personal, pardon me, it's personal freedom, not individual. It's collective freedom, not exclusive. And it can't be contained in a list of rules. It is instead summarized in the words of Jesus that Paul says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Freedom is love, dynamic love, faithful love, active love, determined love, useful love, helpful love, protective love. We don't trust in the redemptive power of religion for that is to add to Jesus. And we cannot add to Jesus without subtracting Jesus. Jesus is sufficient. 
Someone said to me in the last few weeks, do you ever get tired of saying things Christians already know? Jesus is sufficient. We know Jesus is sufficient, but we don't know Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is every, either everything we need or nothing we need. And once I understand Jesus is sufficient, friends, this is precisely what religion can do next in our lives. We organize ourselves around this person, Jesus, the man from the cross. We develop practices and rituals. We gather, in, we gather ourselves in ways that remind us of the liberating sufficiency of Jesus. That means that we are all free to use our energy, our freedom, not for ourselves, but for our neighbors. For freedom, we've been set free. Amen. 